Thank you very much, and good evening, friends. Certainly a privilege to be here this afternoon in this lovely auditorium, packed out with people, worshipers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Kind of a little warm, but we can put up with that, I believe, for a few moments as we fellowship around His Word and be a partaker of the sufferings of the cross, the glory of God, and the resurrection that follows the cross. And now we are very thankful for the attendance that we've had out at the, the, the stadium. It's been certainly a privilege to serve out there these last two nights, the reverence of the people and the attention, undivided attention that the people give. We're so grateful for that. And everything's just going fine. And now we're hoping this next week, the Lord willing, to have some great services out there with the Lord's blessing on us as you pray for us. For that's the only way that we can have it is when you pray. Just one of us praying will help, but when we all pray together, that's when God will go to move and when we all go to pray. That's His promise, and we know His promises are true. And we're expecting God to do some great healings out there this week also, healing the people from their sickness. Now, that is my ministry, is to pray for the sick. And usually the manager of the meeting does the speaking, and I just confine my ministry altogether to praying for the sick. And it makes it better. Of course, it's, it's, I can put more time to it and studying, walking to the platform and just start praying for the sick is quite a bit different than what it is when you go there and try to preach a little while, and perhaps an altar call, and then pray for the sick and line the people up and other things goes with it. Usually Sunday afternoons is given to me for a little time of fellowship with the people to kind of relax and rejoice with them. And many times people thought that I was a complete isolationist because I didn't get out among the people. But that's, that's wrong, my beloved friend. I love people and fellowship, I guess, as good as any person could do it. But I find this, that if I'm out among the people, I'm away from God. I either have to be a servant of God or a servant to the people. And then I, I know that all who believe on him and accept him, I'll have all eternity to fellowship with every one of them. But it's working time now. My father used to say, on Sunday we all us boys want to go swimming through the week. The harvest time was on and so forth. After we'd have all the pitch hay till plum dark, then we had to milk the cows and feed and so forth. I said, well, Dad, we won't have any time to go swimming. He said, you can do that when the harvest time is over. Oh, that's right. And I'm so glad that one day harvest is going to be ended, and then it'll be over. I want to make an appointment with every one of you. You know, I'd like to come out to your house and visit with you and enjoy some good old-fashioned southern cooking. Uh, I like that. I would like to do that. I can't do it now. 
But I'll make an appointment with you after this life is ended. I just want a thousand years of each one of you. So we can just sit around. We won't have any less time for the next one. Just sit around over there and sit down on the Jacob's well as it was and rejoice together and have a lot of time of fellowship. Won't that be wonderful? Just want to walk up to Daniel and say, Brother Daniel, how did you feel when those lines first started roaring? And I like to say to Stephen when he was stoned, just what did it seem like, Stephen, when you prayed for the forgiveness of your persecutors, when you looked up and saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God? How did you feel, Stephen? Many of those we'd like to have fellowship with, wouldn't we? And we will, just as sure as the God of heaven, we will. Now, this afternoon, I'm going to try not to keep you very long because it's hot. And I know you've got church service tonight. It's getting late in the afternoon. And um, I want to speak to you just a little around the Word. Fellowship just a little while around the Word of God for a blessing. And while we do, I want to read a portion of Scripture found in the book of 1 John. And beginning... At the first chapter and the fifth verse, this then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. How marvelous. Let us bow our heads now while we speak to the author of this word. Our Heavenly Father, we are grateful today unto thee, the author and finisher of our faith who came to the earth and was clothed upon, humiliated, and a body made like unto a sinful man's body. There you bore our sickness, our diseases, our sins in thy own flesh, and there paid the full price of redemption that man, through believing on thy great death, the supreme sacrifice might be reconciled back into fellowship with God again. And in some glorious day in the near future that these vile bodies of ours will be changed and made like unto his own glorious body, for we shall see him as he is. And it has not yet appeared just what we shall be at the final end, but we know that we'll have a body like his for we shall see him as he is. Oh, how we long today, seeing sickness gripping on every hand, sin, heartache, trouble, this old pest house. We get homesick once in a while to get out of it all. Oh, while we're journeying, our loved ones are here. Many of them alienated from thee without hope, without God, without mercy. 
and we love to speak to them of our loving kindness. Won't you come today, Father, and join in with us and circumcise the lips that speak and the ears that hear, and may we have fellowship around the word, for we ask it in his name. Amen. Speaking just for a few moments, I believe I stand a little too close to this. It has a terrible voice. Going back to the Word, I love the Word. For after all, that's where we said last night that faith takes its solemn basis. Its stand is on the Word. Now, someone might come in and say, well, I've seen this happen or that happen. But yet, if it has those scriptural backgrounds, we just can't hardly believe that it's true. But when we find, thus saith the Lord, that settles it to me. God said so, that his word is eternally true. And we love the word. Now, there's... The greatest thing that we mortals can have is fellowship. And I want to speak on fellowship through the reconciliation of the blood this afternoon, if God willing, just for a little short time. My boy and some of my associates have been telling me about the meeting. Of course, it all becomes a subconscious condition to me after anointing comes on. I know maybe some of you Methodist brethren and Presbyterian and so forth, it may seem like, oh, I believe Brother Branham, that's a little fanatically. Well, it would to me if I didn't know any difference. But when it becomes a reality, when if you only stood in the tracks, you'd know it was real coming from God. Last two weeks, three weeks ago it is now in Chicago, we had a great meeting in an auditorium about like this. Or it's been a little longer than that. It's on a, I don't know just the date it was. Anyhow, there was a Catholic priest's son, not a Roman, but an Orthodox Catholic priest. His son was converted in the meeting. And he was, that night, the manager closing of the service, we was out for a little time of fellowship, and he had just gave his life to the Lord Jesus, and he said, Oh, if I could just have a few moments of fellowship. And he wanted to tell me his story. And he come from Greece, his father being a priest in the Grecian Catholic Church. He had another man with him that had brought him all the way from Minneapolis, Minnesota, where he runs a chain of restaurants. And this man lived down in Illinois, and he told a story of how he comes to get saved. This man was an architect that built great skyscrapers across the nation. And he said that his friend from over somewhere around Moline, Illinois, called him and said, John, I want you to meet me at the station. I'm coming in. I want to go down to where Brother Branham is having a campaign. I want to ask him if he'll pray for my little girl who's dying with rheumatic fever of the heart. The doctors just give her up. Well, I said, he told me, he said, I've seen the piece in the paper and I thought it was just a bunch of fanatics. But I said, well, I wonder what he's doing 
going to a meeting like that. So he said he met him, and he said, well, he's never seen us, but he's read the book. And he had some neighbors over there, one of them had been born deaf and dumb, had been brought to the meeting, and was speaking and hearing from a mute school. And said, I thought maybe if I go talk to the man, he might pray for my little girl. So he got, after he met his friend, while they, the man, his friend was the one who builds the skyscrapers, they come down into the city and said, well, it's some school, said, we can just take our time, said, the school auditorium, said, it's a big one, it seats several thousand people, so I guess we have plenty of room, so we'll just take our time, said, probably be 50 or 75 people there, that'll be about all, said, most of the people hang around such as that is Pentecostals and Holy Rollers and so forth. So he said when he got to the grounds, he couldn't even get on the school grounds, let alone in the building. The people were out into the streets. But well, said they made their way through up to they got to the door. The bookman standing there, he said, we want to speak to Brother Branham. He said, well, that's him on the platform praying for the sick now. He said, well, I'd like to speak to him about my girl. He said, you can't do it. He said, because already afraid, he said, there's no way at all of seeing him. Said you'd have to go through the manager and so forth and doing a time of the meetings. They don't permit people to do that. So just write your request out and hand it to one of the ushers and they'll probably get it back to the manager. Manager get it over to him. Said, my, that's the way it is. So he was very much disappointed. So he said to his friends, said, well, let's just come down along the aisle as far as we can. The fire marshal wouldn't let no more stand in the aisle. So he said, let's move along here a little bit, about a 75 yards from where I was. So one of the ushers, he gave him the slip, said, give this to where he can get to it. He said, well, I won't be able to see him now till after the meeting, see the manager. So he took the little slip, and the usher said, why don't you pray? But stand there and pray. He said, well, I've prayed for about two weeks and my baby's dying. So we'll just keep on praying. So the man stood there and he began to notice the Holy Spirit coming out into the audience and telling certain people the certain things. Well, he heard me make a few remarks. He said, Lord Jesus, does that be of you? Then let the man speak to me. Said he no more got it out of his mouth. So I turned around and said, the two gentlemen standing there in the aisle, one of them's from Moline, Illinois, his name is so-and-so, said he come here about his child, said he's got a little girl who's dying with rheumatic fever in the heart. She's in the hospital, said, thus saith the Lord, return, God healed your child. Said he looked around to his buddy, and his buddy looked at him, said he stood there a few minutes, said his buddy said to him, said, what do you think of it? But I believe I'll find my girl well. So he said, well, if it does, you let me know about it, will you? He said, the man's just reading mine. So that's all there is to it. He said, I don't believe that. He said, how do you read my mind back here? And I wasn't even thinking about those things. Here he's called people sins and things, and they don't, they're not thinking of those things that they've done 30 years ago and things. He said, well, said he put him on the train that night at 10 o'clock, and he got in the next morning about... Six, and he couldn't um, go to the hospital that time of the morning, so he went upstairs and went to bed, he said. Got up about 9, 30, 10 o'clock and went out to the hospital. He met the doctor, the physician standing in the office. He said, well, Doc, how's the child? He said, you better go get her. I can't do anything with her. Then he went upstairs and just pillow fighting with the kids around over the place. He said, she's been well ever since. And he said, I come to give my heart to the Lord Jesus Christ that I criticize him. 
There you are. Saving souls. That's the main thing. The man wanted just a little time of fellowship to say, thanks for the prayer. I said, I didn't even pray, brother. It was your faith that did it. Now, fellowship. Man wants the greatest fellowship that man could ever have is fellowship with Christ. I love to meet man. Man, we all love to fellowship with one another. Sometimes go out and have a bite to eat. The neighbors, women, talk across the fence. Coming around, having little parties where they meet together. Fellowship. But the greatest fellowship that any mortal can know is when he's in the blessed presence of Almighty God. No fellowship to take its place. At one time, man had perfect fellowship with God. That was God's purpose. That's the reason it's a crave in your heart. Is a longing for something, a uh, contact. I've ministered in many heathen nations where people didn't even know which is right and left hand. But I've never seen a human being in my life, regardless of how far back, how primitive he may be, but what he worships something. He'll worship the sun, he'll worship the wind, he'll worship the stars, he'll make an image of something, because it's just in him, it's an instinct to worship, have fellowship, that it's our duty to take him the message of the living God. In the beginning, when God made man in his own image, put him in the Garden of Eden, he had a perfect fellowship. In the late of the afternoon, the evening times when the twilight was falling, I can see the great Jehovah come across the top of the palm trees and the roaring of the thunder. When Adam and Eve gathered out there in the great open-air cathedral and worshipped God, had fellowship, talked with him, the lions, the tigers, all coming up around in perfect harmony. Wouldn't that be a wonderful place to live? Abiding place where there's no sickness, no sorrow, no way of ever being upset. Everything's in perfect harmony. God in harmony with his creature and the creature in harmony with his maker. What a perfect time. A complete fellowship. That's the way God intended it. But then when man began to sin, he separated himself from his fellowship with his maker. Sin is what separates him. As that that's the truth which we believe it is, the Bible only speaks the truth. And if that's the truth, then if there is some preparation made for sin, then man through that preparation can come back in perfect fellowship and harmony with his maker again. You believe it? Right. We can only find the way. That's, we want to find the remedy. Not long ago, I was in Greece, Athens, Greece, and I was looking at a, in a room, practically the size of this, where the Grecian artist was supposed to paint the picture of the creation. Such a horrible thing. How a wicked heart of sinful man can disguise our, the picture that that man painted of our father and mother Adam and Eve. Eve standing there, a brute looking. My, she's a horrible looking thing. 
There stood Adam, looked like some prehistoric animal, hairs out of his nose way out like that, and his jaw setting sideways, a big tusk hanging down like an animal. That's the kind of thought that a man without Christ can think of God's creation. But a man that's ever born again knows that God does nothing imperfect, he does all things well. I think that Adam and Eve was the most perfect couple that ever walked on earth. I can see Adam and his not a great shoulders like some barn doors, but a perfect built man. Eve, beautiful. I can see her as when I, she woke up at the operation from Adam and he looked at her. Her beautiful hair hanging down her back, her eyes sparkle like the stars above. Adam touching her by the flesh and said, She's flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. Beautiful. Never to fade out those lips. They wouldn't have to use this here manicure or what the stuff you put on your face now to make himself look pretty. Sin caused you to do that. God made it perfect. I can see that she hung on to his arm and they walked through the great gardens of God. Perfect, perfect in love. No harm or danger can ever come to him. Then to see the enemy pervert that thing into a regular mess like we're in today. Just a few years bringing gray hairs, wrinkled face, funeral possessions, hospital streams. That's the devil that did that. Now, when God had him in his perfect control, they walked with him and talked with him in the garden. But as soon as he lost his fellowship with God, he became a wanderer. Wandering around, no place to go, tossed about. That's the way a man becomes today. Here it is, now listen. When a man comes out of fellowship with God, he becomes a wanderer. Going about joining one church and leaving that one and joining another, they don't satisfy him here and he goes over to the Methodists and Methodists, he goes to the Baptists and to the Pentecostals, to the Pilgrim of Holiness from place to place, wandering about because he's lost fellowship. Fellowship with God. You accuse the church of this, the church of that, maybe it's you. Just find fellowship in anywhere is home sweet home. As long as you have fellowship with the Lord. Amen. That's kind of hard, but that's good. That, that kind of straighten you up. Give you, there's more vitamins than that in all the drugstores than there is in the city of God. <laughs> Amen. Give you joy, peace, understanding, confidence. When you have fellowship with the Lord. I can see them after they had sinned. Man in his primitive condition there after fall, he wants to find himself a way of escape. He wants to make it himself. Just like they do yet today. The very strain of it there shows that it's still on man. He sold himself a fig leaf apron, put one on Eve, and thought that when God came down and called him, that he would be able to stand in the presence of God with a homemade apron. But it didn't work. 
When he found out that he had to stand before God, he found out that the apron would not work because he made it himself. And any handmade creed will never stand in the presence of God. We've tried to substitute education for fellowship. Get a bunch of people that's educated together. Think that education will bring fellowship. Education, I'll say this, education has been the greatest hindrance that the gospel of Jesus Christ has ever had. That sounds strange, but it's the truth. Not long ago, Captain Alflar, one of the head of the FBI, was converted my meeting, had to follow for two years, taking me down in the great dungeon and so forth, and showed me those young ladies and so forth in a revolving pins and around. He said, Reverend Brown, he made a remark not long ago about education, said, It's the truth. Ninety percent of them in there are not a fine, educated people. They get so smart they think they can outdo the law. We're just a common old boy, he's afraid of the law, and he brings him to this one. People get to a place that they're going to figure all about it, and God ain't got nothing to do into it, and they think they can get by with anything. But he that fears the Lord shall learn righteousness. So, back, they tried to substitute education for fellowship. They tried to substitute denominations, as good as it may be. Education's all right in its place. Denominations is all right in its place. Membership, they try to substitute membership. Membership's all right in its place, but it will never take the place of fellowship of the Son of God. Notice it now. Then when they realized that they had sinned and gone away from God, God had to kill some animals, perhaps the sheep, because Christ was the lamb slain the foundation of the world. And when he killed the lambs and, or sheep and threw back the skins to Adam and Eve, they covered themselves with the skins and stood in the presence of God to receive their judgment and their eternal destination. Couldn't stand no other way. God couldn't look upon them without a covering. And God can't look upon you without a covering, and the covering, and that day was blood. And that's the same covering today. And I'm afraid that we full gospel people are getting a little too far off the track now when we leave that out. Come back! Years ago, I used to come to the full gospel meetings and how the people acted and did was so much different. I'm not here. you got preachers that preach to you. I come for a healing service. But I used to notice when I went there no more than a few years ago, I used to see the ladies coming to the full gospel meetings with long hair, dressed modestly. And today they got bobbed hair as a sin man. they got all kind of paste and makeup and uh, all kinds of stuff. What's the matter? Christ hasn't changed. Something's wrong. Something happened. If it was wrong then, it's wrong now. What we need today is an old-fashioned 
St. Paul's revival in the Bible, Holy Ghost preached back in the church. For old time conviction, men and women coming to the Lord through the shed blood of reconciliation, wrecking themselves dead. Won't be so much fashion put on. Used to go to a place, the old Methodist preacher used to sing a little song, old brother Kelly. Back home he said, we let down the bars, we let down the bars, we compromise with sin. We let down the bars, the sheep got out, but how did the goats get in? You let down the bars. That's plain. Yes, what we need today is some good Bible preaching. Thorns and thistles and so forth. 
And I can see a dramatic thing. I can see him departing out of the presence of God. And as he started walking away there, what a condition! If it hadn't been through the shed blood, we'd all been gone. But God reckoned Adam's sin by the shedding of an innocent substitute. You Methodists, try all that in your church, and you Baptists, and you Pilgrim Holiness, and all the other different ones. Try it! Take Christ! Then you'll find out that these great mysterious things that's beginning to appear won't be so mysterious to you. How can you know God that's God's in the heart? Man can only know when he calls for something. David said, when the deep calls to the deep, if there's a deep in your calling, there's got to be a deep to respond to it. Before there's a fin on a fish's back, there had to be water first from the swim in to use that fin, or he wouldn't have had no fin. Before there's a tree to grow in the earth, there had to be an earth first. Here some time ago, a red boy, a little baby boy, eat the racers off of the pencil, eat the rubber off of a bicycle pedal. They took him to the laboratory to find out what was the matter with him, or at the clinic, rather. They found out his little body needed sulfur, and sulfur was in the rubber. Now, before there could be a crave for sulfur, there had to be a sulfur out there to respond to that crave. And before there can be, a, if there's a desire in a human heart for more of God, there's got to be more of God somewhere to find. If a man believes in divine healing and knows that God is a healer, there's got to be a fountain open somewhere. Or there's got to be a deep to respond to every desire. Amen. What we need today is an old-fashioned breaking up. Cleaning out the ice box of beer and all the fling dangled things and throwing the cards off the table and an old fashioned prayer meeting back into the heart of the living God. That's what we need today. America needs its only remedy. God's never given another remedy in the education. All these other things will never, never be recognized until you come to the blood. Takes the blood to do it. Perfect fellowship. Job had it. Just man. Look what a fellowship he had. When he came in the presence of God, our God, Satan, came up before God, rather with the sons of God. So where have you been? So walk into and throw it up and down on the earth. Say, had you considered my servant Job a just man? A perfect man. There's none like him in the earth. What's God saying, Job, his servant was perfect? We've all read of the trials of Job, how that he went through the distressed times. Oh, I just love to read of him. One year I was saying I preached the book of Job, taking me about a year and a half to get to it. When I got him over there on the ash heap, I kept him there for about six or eight weeks. One of the members of my congregation she didn't want to hurt my feelings, but she wrote me a letter. Said, Brother Brandon, when you ever go get Job off the ash heap? I had him out there. That was the crucial moment of Job's life. He looked over and he seen flowers go back to the dust here at Job 14. And if flowers died, they have a regular procession for it. Frost hits it and kills the little fella, bows his little head. 
The petals drop off, seed drops out, then they have a funeral procession in the sky. The clouds come over to fall the air and rain down the teardrops that buries the little seed. It lays beneath the ground. The frost gets into the ground, freezes several inches deep. Through the run of the winter, the little seed swells, freezes, bursts open, the pulp runs out. When spring comes along, the petals gone, the leaves gone, the stalks gone, the seeds gone, the pulp's gone. Everything that can be seen of the little seed is gone, the power is finished as far as man is concerned. But just let the warm sunshine rise over the eastern horizon, begin to bathe the ground somewhere in that dust as a germ of life, that little fire will live again. And if God made a way for a fire to live again, well, it's not a man that's made in his own image. Here some time ago, an old Methodist preacher and I was having a little fellowship around some ice cream. The agriculture hour, come on, at Louisville, on the radio, in a little confectionery where we were at. And we were sitting on some stools talking about the Lord, very good old brother, born again. And it said the little 4-H club had perfected a, a machine that would turn out grains of corn just as perfect as they did when it was grown in the field. It said, take one handful out of the sack that the machine perfected, and take a handful out of the sack that was grown in the field, there no difference in them at all. One will make just as good a cornbread as the other would, just as good a cornflakes, any ingredients. Cut them open in the laboratory, mix them together, cut them open in the laboratory. Each one had the same amount of moisture, calcium, everything that goes into it was in every grain. Said the only way you could tell the difference was barium. And the one that the machine produced would never come up again, but the one that God grown had a germ of life that was raised again. I said, Brother Kelly, take me by the hand, because I'll embarrass you here. For I know this one thing, man may go to church and impersonate Christianity, act like Christianity, pay his tithes and so forth and live a good life in the community, but except that man born again, he'll never raise from the resurrection. Lord! Amen. How God has made a way of escape for those who long to accept it. Now, I want you to notice closely, Job then, in all of his distress, sitting out there, church members come and turn their back to him for seven days. A little later, God, any man... They come to him and said, Job, you're a secret sinner. You've done something wrong. You sinned secretly. Job knew he had not sinned because he come upon the basis of God's Word. He come upon the basis of the shed blood, knowing that God required a blood sacrifice and blood was what Job offered, knowing that God could not refuse it. The whole picture is a perfect revelation. In the Garden of Eden, many people today, now this may hurt just a little bit, but many people today think that they go to church and worship the Lord and pay into the church, that that's good enough. Brother, God would be unjust to receive such a person. 
in the Garden of Eden, where well, they were stricken and threw out. The first child was born was Cain. The second one was Abel. And when they both realized they were mortal, they tried to find favor with God. Both of them come to the east side of Eden, to the gates where the cherubim was with the sword of fire, and both boys built an altar to the Lord. That's a church. It's only belonging to churches. All God requires of the sinner to do penance. Belonging to the church, God would be unjust to, to receive Abel and to reject Cain. Both of them had a church. Then, not only that, but Cain come and offered a sacrifice. If sacrifice is all that God requires, he'd be unjust to condemn Cain. Not only that, but Cain was not an infidel. Cain was a believer. He was trying to find reconciliation. And Cain knelt down humbly, raised up his hands, and worshipped the Lord. He was not a communist, neither was he an infidel. He was a believer. But he didn't have a spiritual revelation. And when Abel came, I can imagine seeing Cain decorate the altar, fine lilies, and making it pretty, all dolled up, as we call it. That's the way people think today, if they can build a great big church without trying the rest of them, push the seats, put a $10,000 pipe organ in it, a crucifix all around it or over it, they think that God will be pleased with it. God ain't pleased with the works of the hands of man. They're shifting sand. Notice, there Cain decorating his altar, making it look pretty, thought he'd find favor with God, and he knelt down and worshiped God. If that spirit don't live today, why doesn't it? Look at it around the world. Now, notice, but when Abel came, there was no beauty about his offer. He took a little grapevine, I guess, because he didn't have any hemp in that day, as I know of. So they made a grapevine rope and put it around the little lamb's neck and began to pull him up to the altar, laid him up on the rock, pulled his little head back, took a sharp rock, I guess he didn't have a lance, began to chop his little throat. And if anybody ever heard of that, uh, uh, how those little fellows cried when they were dying, did you ever hear a little sheep, a lamb, dying? The most pitiful blade that you ever heard. And his hands of Abel bathed with the blood as he chopped his throat. And the little fellow blading, blading. He couldn't speak English, so he must have been speaking in tongues. But what he spoke of was some 4,000 years later, when the Lamb of God hung on the cross and his wool, his rocks all bathed over with the blood. Dying without a plant on earth. God looked down to Abel and said, That's justification, and he was just in the sight of God. Why? Because it was spiritual revelation. He had nothing else to go by but spiritual revelation. Jesus promised the disciples when they come off the mountain, said, Who does man say I the Son of Man am? 
One of them said, you're Moses, the other said, you're Elias, and some said, you're Jeremiah. He said, who do you say I am? Peter, standing right out, said, God the Christ, the Son of the living God. He said, listen, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed it to you. You never learned it in a seminary. You didn't learn it by any man. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But my Father, which is in heaven, has revealed this to you. Now, the Catholic Church says it was up on Peter the confession was made. The Protestant Church said it was Christ, the rock, that he had built his church. But if you'll notice closely, it was neither one. It was the spiritual revealed truth of God to Peter that Jesus was the Son of God. And the Bible said, no man can call Jesus the Christ only by the Holy Ghost. Amen. Upon this rock, he said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'll build my church upon the spiritual revealed truth. Amen. By sovereign grace, God calls his man and reveals himself. Amen. That's what Macon needs today. Not only Macon, but every city in the United States and the world over needs the spiritual revelation of the resurrected power of the Lord Jesus Christ. It will stop juvenile delinquency, make these broken homes reunited again. It'll make this country so dry that bootleggers would have to be primed 30 minutes to get enough moisture to spit. I'm telling you what we need today is not social affair, but a gospel that's preached in the power and the demonstration of the Holy Ghost back to a fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Why I feel religious right now. Amen. It's a burnt offering, the only way he had of fellowship with God. But seemingly God had turned his back on Job. But he knew he hadn't sinned and he stayed anyhow. Oh, I hope you'll get that. Every man that comes to God must first be tried. Trials, tribulations goes in the category of a Christian. God don't promise the flower bed of ease. Every one of you that accepts your healing, look for the devil to be right there, just whatever torment to you he can. For every one that comes must first be tried. Job knew the sacrifice was laid out there. He offered it to the shed blood, God's only way of reconciliation for sinners. He offered it to God, and he knew that he was just in doing so. No matter which way the waves turned, Job stood past. There you are. That's the way to do it. No matter what Miss Jones said, and Miss Joe be the one. Didn't bother him. He knew he was he was in the line of reconciliation. He offered God's provided sacrifice, the lamb. Even his wife turned against him, setting out on this ash sheep, scraping himself with the of the boils that was on him. His children was all killed and his sheep gone. 
Everything looked like it happened to him. But still, Job stays out there, and his wife come out and said, Job, why don't you curse God and die? He said, thou speakest like a foolish woman. Now, I never said she's foolish, said she spoke like one. Said, you speak like a foolish woman. The Lord gave, the Lord taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. There you are. Then down from the east came the little Prince Elihu, representative of Christ which we had time to go into the name of Ella and so forth, show you that it was a representative of the Lord Jesus. He came to Job and he corrected him. He said, now, Job, look, you're thinking, looking at the flowers, how they go into the dust and they come back. A tree falls down, it comes back. But he said, man, lay us down, yea, give us up the ghost, he wastes away. Where is he? His sons come to mourn, get him honored, but he perceive it not. Then you look at all that, Job, but said, yes, you're just because you've offered the right provided way. You've come to God through fellowship. You've offered the slaying beast, and you're righteous, Job. And he said, now, those flowers never sin, neither do the trees sin. But man sinned, and he separated himself. That's the reason he don't come up in the springtime. But he said, Job, listen. There is coming one, a just one, who can stand in a breach between a sinful man and the holy God and place his hand on each one and make reconciliation. Job being a prophet, he got in the spirit. That's the only way you're going to get anything anyhow is when you get in the spirit. Got in the spirit. The power of God come on him. He foresaw the coming of the Lord. He raised on his feet, he shook himself. The thunders roared, the lightning's face. Job said, I know my Redeemer liveth. And at the last days he'll stand on the earth. So the skin worms destroys his body. Yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself. Mine eyes shall behold and not another. We brought nothing into the world and it's certainly taken nothing out. What did he see? He saw that the lamb that he slayed represented the coming of the just one. And if Job could have that kind of faith in that day upon the shadow of the Son of God, what ought we to do who come into his presence through the reconciliation of his own death and blood? Amen. There, he had perfect fellowship and God restored him back to full all he ever lost. The only place that Israel had, the only place that God ever promised to meet sinners is under the blood. Not under the church now, not under the denomination. They're all good, but under the blood. What I'm trying to think here, friends, what I'm trying to get to you is this. Not to say you don't need to belong to a church, you do. But just belong to the church is not enough. It's got to be a deep, consecrated, God-given Period of life in you. You just can't do it on basic fellowship with the people. You've got to have fellowship with Christ. You've got to be born again. You've got to come out of the blood. In the blood cell alone lays the life. Christ first formed a little teeny life. He was in house in a blood cell. But when that cruel Roman spirit broke that blood cell on Calvary, then Christ was loosed, the Holy Spirit. And now the only way that you can ever come into Christ 
is through that broken blood cell, through the power of God to cleanse your soul from sin and bring you into the fellowship. The only way you can do it. Then you've got everlasting life and can't come into condemnation because you pass from death into life. Notice, Israel, wherever they were, they had only one place of fellowship. That was under the blood. When the man come to be reconciled to God, the first he had to come into the tabernacle. That was the place where the bodies of the beasts were slain. That's where the blood was on the altar and the only meeting place that Jehovah promised to meet the people. Under the shed blood. The only place he ever did meet people. The only place he ever will meet people. Someone has said thousands of times, Brother Sam, what does it mean when you feel your own life move away from you and something steps in and takes its place? Why, it's a fellowship. It's marvelous. You know that you're not yourself anymore. You've got yourself completely surrendered to God. And it's not you talking, it's Him talking. It's not you can do anything, but you're so happy to know that He is doing it. And there's such a love about it that you just can't contain your joy hardly to know that God is doing something for the people. And how can you have fellowship with God when you can't have fellowship with one another? When churches are different, when fussing and quarreling and arguing just with churches, how can you expect to love God when we can't love each other? I think it's a time that all the barriers should be broke down and we should all be one together. One great unit. Notice, when Israel come into the shed blood, the animals taken up to the altar was washed with the laver. The sinner placed his hands up on the lamb, his throat was cut with a lamp, the blood was sprinkled, and the man went out reconciled through the shedding of the blood. But every time he sinned, he had to come offer a new lamb. And there was a sin offering once a year. He that trespassed that died without mercy. Now, if he had a sin had been committed twice in a year, no matter if he was the mayor of the city, if he was the king, whoever he was, he was stoned without mercy. Now, in the case of Christ, the lamb, if we once put our hands upon his head and confess our sins as wrong, and he accepts us, what a sore punishment it would be to do despite to the works of grace and to count the color of the blood where we were sanctified and unholy things. But in that place, he went back with the same kind of a feeling he had when he come in. Now, this may pinch just a little bit to some of the brothers. Listen. The reason the man went out after offering the lamb's blood, maybe he went out and murdered. He went out with the same murdered spirit in his heart. Though he was reconciled, for he was offered the blood. But he went out with the same spirit in his heart. Maybe committed adultery. He went out with the same spirit in his heart. Because the blood of this animal, the life was in the blood, but the animal life trying to answer for a human life. It would never do it. But when a man correctly, one time, comes in and lays his hands upon the head of thy face of the Lord Jesus Christ and confesses his sins, then the blood of Jesus Christ, the life that was in that was God himself. And that man, the life that returns to that man after he has confessed his sins and accepted Christ, 
He's brought into relationship with Christ by the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and there's no more desire in his heart to sin. Amen. That's the reason Hebrews 10 said, For the worshiper once purged has no more conscience of sin. There you have fellowship. The things of the world is dead. You don't recognize them no more. You reckon yourself dead. And your life is hidden. God through Christ sealed by the Holy Spirit. And then you're looking to heavenly things. Used to be you could have hardly sat in church ten minutes. But when you really got the Holy Spirit, you could sit in church day and night. For there's something in you feeding. The trouble today, people have worldly spirits. They go to church. Here some time ago, I was working for a utility company. And I went out to tell a lady that she hadn't paid her light bill. And the would come turn the services off that she didn't pay it. And I went out to the door and knocked on the door. And there was a little girl come to the door, a little woman about 18, 20 years old, about enough clothes on a water musket. And she come to the door and she said, oh, you're from a light company. She said, Mother told me to take the bill in a few days ago. And I said, yes, ma'am. And she said, well, wait, I'll get the money for you. I said, thank you. She said, can you take it for me? I said, yes, ma'am. She started across the floor and there was some kind of an old worldly, crazy music come on or some old fiddler, uh, you know, sawing that kind of a music out of some kind of a little song that's worldly. And she was going to start playing it real fast like the devil does. And so she started across the floor and that girl forgot I was even the, around the place. She started across the floor dancing around hollering tootly, tootly, tootly all around the floor. Some kind of bugs and jitterbugs and all other kind of rumble and rumbles and all those godly things you ever heard of. And there she was uh, up on the floor doing that. And directly she looked around and I stood and I thought, oh, that's four kids. Oh my, she is really fully sold out. So I looked at her. I was, oh, she's nothing but a kid. That's a shame. So I told her, she said, oh, for, I, didn't, I forgot about you being at the door. She got the money and come to the door. She said, I just love to dance so well. I said, yes, ma'am, I see that. So she got out and this man said, there's going to have some kind of an old kind of dance out at some kind of a green broad patch or something. She got out and showed him a kiss to the radio. She said, goodbye, dear. He said, I'll be right there to see you. I thought, you sure will, too. There's no way at all to keep you away from it. No, sir. I want a, a fine church in our city, great church. Dr. Brown, the pastor, a fine friend of mine. I was coming down a pole, I think, taking down some more secondaries. I was coming down a pole, Dr. Brown come over. He said, how are you, Billy? I said, just fine. He said, you still having good crowds up at the tabernacle? I said, wonderful. He said, Billy, you know, since I've been in this town, he said, other weeks that I've been out, there these 16, I mean, there's these 6,000. said, I've got 6,000 members of this church around here somewhere. And said, I sent out cards to make that people pledge that they'd come to prayer meeting at least six months out of the year and said, you know how many responded to those 6,000 cards? I said, no, he said, two. So I was down there one time at a meeting where they had a ministerial association met. I was a member of it. And they got down there at the platform and they said, now we've got the best fiddler there is in the country. Not, not one of the best, but the best. And this sounds shocking, but you know what they played in the pulpit? Turkey in the straw. 
Yes. They said we got the best quartet there is and the country's going to sing for us. A great church is celebrating for just about us. You know what they sing? Home on the range. Well, I thought the thing was going to fall in. Well, I got up and went out. I was excommunicated for doing so. But look, I said, Dr. Brown, I told him the story about that little half-naked girl. I said, do you think Mr. McMitchin is going to have to sign a, a card to make that woman pledge that she'll come to that dance tonight? He said, no. I said, why? Because it's in her heart. Her soul feeds on that kind of stuff. Let me see what kind of music you listen to. Let me see what kind of literature you read. I can tell you what you're made up out of. That's right. There. I said, no, she would go if she had to pawn her shoes to go. I said, if you'd have an old-fashioned altar call down there in a church and get those people filled with the Holy Ghost when that church rings the bell, you'll not have to sign any cards. They'll come anyhow. Why? You can't join things and fellowships like that. It's got to be the blood of Jesus Christ bringing you into fellowship with Christ. The only way. My, how we could talk all evening on these things. But friends, listen to this. You'll never, never know what perfect satisfaction is. You may be tossed about to and fro, joining churches, running, trying to seek this, that, and the other. Every time a little something new happens, here you go to it, a new light, a new something. Why don't you just come to Christ and settle the whole thing? Once born again, that settles it forever. Once born to the Spirit of God, you have everlasting life and cannot come into condemnation, but passion, death to life. Then you can enjoy yourself. Then it's a pleasure to pray. You don't have to wonder about whether God's going out when you kneel to pray, you're right in His presence. When you're walking on the street, you're right in His presence. Wherever you are, you're in His presence all the time. For you have perfect fellowship with the Son of God. What a marvelous, victorious life. Halfway life is the most miserable thing there is. And by the way, there's no such a thing as a halfway Christian. You never see one, you never will. Did you ever see a black-white bird at the same time? Did you ever see a drunk, sober man? You never see a sinner saint. You're either a sinner or a saint. You're on one side of the fence. If you're born again, you're saved. If you're not born again, you're outside of Christ. Without hope, without God in the world. God's made preparations for you to be saved. He's made everything, parted everything up to this great time. In the end time where we're living now, when the shadows are falling, just think, a few weeks ago, the church has been preaching for years that the Lord was coming, the end time was in sight. Everything, everything that I know of as a minister of the gospel is pointing to the end time. We're right now at the end. The great pyramid, you who study that, points to the end time, the one that Enoch made. The zodiac, it started off with the virgins, the first coming of Christ. It's ending up with Leo the Lion, the second coming. It's at hand. The scientific world streamed across the nation about five weeks ago last Sunday and said that the end time is in sight. Any time we can be wiped off the face of the earth. We're living at the end time. As it was in the days of Noah, so is it in the coming of the Son of Man. Oh, don't play, friends. Well, you don't understand. You who stay here in America and don't know what the circulation of things are in other countries. 
Here some time ago when they cut me up over there in Finland when I went up over by the, the great line there, what they call the curtain, they run us through about 150 miles there, nothing but solid tunnel made with their hands. A German officer at each end with a Tommy gun in his hand, the shades pulled down to the little car that we were riding in. I said, what's this all about? And there's a Finnish officer sitting by me where the little boy was raising the dead up there and was taking me up. Yeah, I guess you've read of it and so forth. And he said, they're right behind that curtain there, Brother Branham said they got all kinds of secret devices. They got planes that they can shoot out on rockets and bomb your nation and take it out an hour's time. Nobody gets behind there. A hydrogen bombs and oxygen bombs and everything hanging right in the scales like that. And man constantly wades right down through sin. And people will stay away from prayer meeting and I turn on their television sets and listen to Lucy's and all them other programs and things and call themselves Christians. I'm nothing but an old-fashioned, sap-brass preacher. I believe in an old-time backwood, sky-blue, sin-killing religion that washes you up and makes you white, but it's the only thing to save me. It'll do you good if you'll just receive it. That's through coming through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the only way there is, the only preparation. Now I say this as a servant of the Lord. I believe that it could happen at any time. Total annihilation. It could start at any time. Look, as the days of Noah, that's how they throw the world out of its bounds in the days of Noah. When they built the pyramids, the Sphinx, and so forth, we could build it today if we had to. Gasoline power, electric power won't build it, but atomic power will. So they just turned it loose and shut the world from its orbit. It being hot went out and caused moisture that covered the whole earth. This time he's going to blow it into the sun just exactly scientifically right across the center of the way God said it would happen. Here it is now. We're at the end time. And men are still unprepared. God's sending revival across the nation. Great signs and wonders and signs appearing everywhere. Healing of sick raising of dead and everything and man wade right on through breaking down every red light and run through every barrier. Refusing. Oh, you see, I'll go to church. I'm as good as you are. That's not the question. Have you received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you been reconciled? You say, well, I belong to the nicest church there is in town. That's not the idea. Are you born again of the Spirit of God? Have you fellowship, perfect fellowship? The things of the world is dead. Well, you say, don't condemn me. Why well, am I my brother? Somebody, some people don't even have conscience. They just serve through. One time an old colored fellow after I was preaching on the street corner said, Preacher, you know what your conscience is? And I said, I have an idea, sir. What do you think it is? This little thing sets like this. It's got four sharp pine points in it. Says when you do anything wrong, it cuts. It says you keep letting it cut. It cuts a circle around there. That's why you don't even feel it at all. And that's right. You just keep lukewarm, drifting away, drifting away, and after a while you're all the way gone. Let's turn our scene just before closing now for a minute. Let's look at Adam and Eve there in the Garden of Eden. Sin, alien from God, without fellowship, tossed about with every wind of doctrine, didn't know what to do. God stood before him in the judgment there and pronounced the judgment upon them. Now watch what they did. There goes Adam and Eve with their arms around one another. I can see poor little Eve now can cry. Those great blue sparkly eyes that look like the stars of heaven, tears are running down her cheeks. They'll be wrinkled after a while. 
That pretty blonde hair hanging down her back will turn gray. That great shaggy black hair on Adam will turn gray one of these days. Those great huge muscles will shrink away and come into the dust and the skin worms will crawl through. Got to go. Sickness and sorrow lays in his path. And there he goes going out through there now without hope. Turned out of the presence of God. I can see him in his arm around his sweetheart. The tears running down. His cheeks dripping off on her head, and running down over her body, the tears and blood mixed together from that old bloody sheepskins, and there they start out through the Garden of Eden, condemned. Listen, I can hear something like, what is it? It's a bloody sheepskin beating against the legs of Adam as he walked out through there, condemned to die God's own child. Going out through there, separated, alienated from God, going to the devil's hell without mercy. When God who covers all space and all eternity. Here some time ago, I was out on Mount Palmer looking through a glass there. I could see 120 million years of life space. Break that down in miles, you'd run a row of nine from the Jeffersonville, Indiana. Still couldn't break it in miles. And out in there in the solar system of still worlds and moons and so forth and stars. 120 million years of life space. God who covered all space and all time bottled down to four little letters, L-O-V-E, love. He could not see his child apart from him. I can hear him say, wait just a minute, Adam. I'll put image between the woman's seed and the serpent's seed. Her heel shall bruise his head, his head shall bruise her heel, promising the Savior. What a black picture there. Let's change your camera now to 4,000 years later. In Jerusalem one morning, there had been a great racket around through the country for three and a half years that there was a fellow around there healing the sick, performing miracles, seeing visions. He claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed that God was in him. That he'd done nothing of himself but giving praise and glory to God for it. The church of that day condemned him and refused him. He said he won't join up with our church, so we won't have nothing to do with him, and refused the members to receive him. He came to his own, and his own received him not. He was despised and rejected and turned down the very God of heaven manifested in the flesh. It's a morning in Jerusalem. We're in a room. Let's pull the curtains back. I hear a noise outside. Let's look out the door just a moment. There, coming down through the streets, comes... A man with a cross on his back, bloody footprints going along the street in the old cross, dragging out the footprints of the barrier, bumping around all those old cobblestones as he went out the street, going up to the capital punishment place to die. The crowd's going along, some of them hollering, oh, he healed my baby. Others said, what has he done? The others say, away with such a person, he don't even need to live. He won't agree with our church. He won't agree with our theology. Away with such a person. He had a little white robe across his shoulders. I notice on that little robe, there's a little white white robe with little red dots all over it. I wonder what those dots are. As he moves on up towards Calvary, I see them little dots getting bigger, bigger. Little red dots as he's going up towards Calvary. They get bigger, bigger. And while they all run into one big red splash, I hear something again going, What is it? It's the second item. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. 
God's Son bleeding out a bloody path for every sinner that wants to take the road. He's going up the hill forsaken, tears running down his cheeks. He came to his own, his own received him not. There goes the one that the seed of the woman that was to bruise the servant's head. Death is a stain. I can see the bee of death stinging around him. Sleeps to take him just in a few minutes. It's buzzing. And after a while, when he's hung out to the cross to die between heavens and earth, the bee of death will sting him. But anybody knows that when a bee or an insect who has a stinger, if it once stings, it pulls its stinger out and don't have any more sting. Christ, the Son of God, being God made in flesh, come to the world and made in sinful flesh, that he might take the stinger of death out. Now, when the believer comes in the presence of God and death begins to strike him, Death can buzz like a bee, but it can't sting. Death don't have any stinger no more for the believer. It was sunk in Christ Jesus there at the cross, where the Lamb of God was slain from the foundation of the world to take the sin of every unbeliever upon himself. And there he is hanging there, no wonder Paul could say, when there's building a chop block there, I was down in that little old gallery a few weeks ago in Rome, where they chopped his head off. Pitch him over to a little sewer there and let his sacred body wash down the street. What did he say? He said, Oh, death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Yonder setting before every man and woman, boy and girl here today is a great black door, and it's called death. Every time your heart beats, you go one more step closer to that door. And someday you've got to go in at it because every mortal has to face it. When my heart beats this last time, I don't want to walk to that door like a coward. I don't want to walk to that door like somebody of this world. I want to walk there knowing this, that when the last beat comes, I want to wrap myself in the robes of His righteousness and go in with Him, knowing this, that I know Him in the power of His resurrection, that when He calls from among the dead, I'll come out with them who are alive. Oh, sinner man today, that hope's not in you. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood with righteousness. When all around my soul gives way, then he's all my hope and stay. For on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other grounds is sinking sands, all other grounds is sinking sands. Let it be church, denomination, fellowships of this world, whatever it is, it's all sinking sands outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. Shall we bow our heads just a moment? Everyone sitting quietly in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for Thee. Just imagine a few moments ago that old rugged cross upon your shoulders, blood streaming down your back. There you were going to Calvary to take my place. Maybe before morning you'll call me. There may be some here, Lord, that may be called before the sunset this afternoon. Sitting here today, practically as far as you know, healthy people, and the heart may cease before the sunset. And there may be people in this auditorium today 
that might be a torment if they die in their conditions before the sun sets tonight. Or may go to sleep tonight, healthy, joyful, laughing people, and then before she rises in the morning, be in another world. When these threads that we're walking on call threads of life and brittle, we don't know when they shall break. Have mercy today, God, and bless the unsaved, and bring them to the fellowship of thy dear beloved Son. Do it, Father. Let them know that only reconciliation is through the blood of the Lord Jesus, that they might receive him today. Thou art healing the sick, making the blind to see the deaf to hear, raising up the dead as they pass in this life, the doctors walk away and fall off to the morgue. And you come along and bring them up again. We're at the end of the road, Father. I pray today that in Jesus' name, that you'll bring sinners to thee for the asking for his glory, whatever head is bowed. I wonder today, while we're standing here, in the presence of God and of this great company, if there be a man or a woman here that's outside of Christ, down here on the bottom floor, raise up your hand and do so by saying this to Jesus, not to me, your brother, but to Christ, say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I, I want you to save me. I, I, I want to come. I've been tossed about. I've wondered all the time whether it was right or not. I want to know whether I'm right. I want you to reveal yourself to me today. I'll raise up my hand for you, Lord. Will you raise your hand anywhere on the bottom floor? God bless you. That's good. God bless you, brother. Someone else, God bless you. Someone else, God bless you, sister. God bless you, brother. That's wonderful. God bless you, sir. I see your hand over there. Everyone in prayer now. Say, Lord, be merciful to me. God bless you, lady. I see you way over to my left. Just put up your hand. Is that does any good, Brother Brown? Certainly. Remember, his presence is here. Anybody in the balcony over here on the right hand side around in here, raise up your hand. Say, Brother Brown, I'm not a Christian. I want you to pray for me. God bless you, sir. God bless you. God bless you. Right straight in front of us now. Is there anybody up in that part of the balcony that raise your hand? God bless you. Around to the left over here. Is there anyone over here that raise your hand? God bless you back there, sir. God bless you, lady. God bless you. 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 That's God bless you. That's God bless you, sir. I see your hand. Remember the Lord Jesus sees you.